This morning's Bible reading is taken from Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Chloe. And thanks, Fiona, for that prayer as well. What do you really long for this morning? What do you really want right now? There's maybe a thousand things that pop into your mind. A holiday, a break from work, maybe. For weather that's more like summer. If you're a parent, maybe one of the first things that popped into your mind, even just after a few days of school being out, is September to come again. Maybe not. There are things that will pop into our minds. When I ask that question, what do you long for right now? They'll pop into our minds almost instantaneously. But I want you to to dig a bit deeper for a moment. Go beyond the surface. Think about the deepest longings of your heart. What do you really long for right now? To find the one, a husband or a wife. To have a family. To be in a job where you feel happy and fulfilled. To be financially stable again. To have a healthy mind, a healthy body. It goes without saying, but I'm sure there are a multitude of longings in this room. And I want to ask a second question. If you were to get that which your heart really longs for, would you be happy, satisfied, content in life? Like, I mean really happy, not just a kind of a fleeting satisfaction that's here one moment and then gone the next. I'm talking about a true and lasting happiness and contentment that satisfies deep in your soul. C.S. Lewis, 
philosopher, theologian, author of great children's books. He talks about the longings we all have in life, and he says this. Most people, if they really learn how to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they don't keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love, or first think of some foreign country, or first take up some subject that excites us, are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. There is always something that we grasp at in that first moment of longing that just fades away in the reality. The spouse may be a good spouse. The scenery has been excellent. It has turned out to be a good job, but it has evaded us. There is something we all in this room long for. Something C.S. Lewis says this world cannot offer to us. The question is, what is it? We're starting a, a new series for the summer. We're going to be uh, in the book of Psalms, looking at different songs and prayers uh, that we see the psalmist pen. Uh, and in our passage this morning, the psalmist in Psalm 84 longs for something. Look at the language he uses right from the start. His soul longs, yes, faints for it. His heart and his flesh sing for it. Or another version says, his heart and his flesh cry out for it. And he longs for this thing so much that he's willing to give up all the prestige and honor of this world if only he can get that which he wants. And what does he long for the most in life? God himself. And why does he long for God so much? Well, it's because the psalmist has tasted and seen that the Lord, the living God, he is the one who satisfies our deepest longings in life. And in this psalm, he shows us how that is the case. He writes this psalm to show us how God is the one who satisfies our deepest longings. Psalm 84, it stirs our hearts to delight in God. It trains our hearts to long for God. And it teaches us to live in such a way that this longing will be satisfied both now and forever in eternity. So then, here's the question we're going to approach this psalm asking this morning. How does God satisfy our deepest longings? How does God do it? Well, I think the psalm gives us three answers. And the first answer is this. He satisfies our deepest longings by making his house our home. He satisfies our deepest longings by making his house our home. From the beginning, the psalmist makes it clear what he wants most. It's God. We've said that already. He isn't hiding how he's feeling, is he? He wants to be with God his God. He calls him my God and my King. He wants to be with him in the temple. He wants to see and be satisfied by the beauty of God. Look at verses 1 and 2. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. 
My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. This is the language of love, isn't it? Of obsession, of longing, of someone who is completely captivated. It's like the groom on his wedding day gushing over his new bride in his wedding speech. And do you see how the psalmist praises God by praising the dwelling place of God, the temple in Jerusalem? As he writes the psalm, it's clear that he's not in the temple right now, but he longs to be. He's been there before, and he wants nothing more than to be there again. He wants to be in the house of God. It's, it's a theme that we see continued in verses 3 and 4. Look, look what he says. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. It's almost like he's sitting back in his chair as he writes this and he's thinking of the temple and he sees the wee birds flying up to the eaves, to the nests where they contend to their young and he just thinks of those birds and he's envious of them, jealous of them. They get to be so close to God every day in his presence. That's what I want, he says. And it's the same, for, same thing for those who, who serve regularly in the temple, the priests and the Levites, those who carry out their daily duties in God's presence. He's jealous of them too. See, our psalmist is convinced that the good life is life with God, in the presence of God, being satisfied by his glory and his goodness, seeing him and praising him every day. I don't know if you've ever experienced homesickness. Maybe if you've ever been traveling for a long period of time or if you're someone who's moved away for uni maybe to a new place for work and you're homesick. You just have this longing, this deep longing within you to be home again. And why we feel like this, why we experience homesickness is because home is more than just a building to us. It's the place that's familiar to us. It's the place where we feel safe and secure. It's the place where we have all our memories in life. It's the place where the story of our life centers on. And for the psalmist, it's almost like he is feeling this homesickness for the temple, for God's house. Because to him, the temple is more than just a building. It's home. Yes, it, it may be beautiful. Yes, it might have lots of historical and religious meaning for him and his people, but it's more than all that to him. To him, the temple is home because that is where God is. God himself has made his dwelling there. And that's why the psalmist longs for the dwelling place of God. And this psalm obviously picks up on a massive theme that runs throughout all of the Bible. And to help us understand a bit more of this psalm, we're going to do like almost like a whistle-stop tour of this theme. And the theme is of God's dwelling place, the temple. And that theme, it begins right at the start of the Bible. And it culminates right at the very end of the Bible. Because in the beginning, God created human beings to have fellowship with him. He created Adam and Eve, and he put them in the Garden of Eden. And he himself, he was there with them. He walked around with them. He talked with them. He was their friends in their garden. 
But when Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3, God cast them away from his presence. See, God cannot be in the presence of sin. And so they were exiled from the garden. And after Genesis 3, all of us, we, we all no longer live with God. We no longer experience his presence and that closeness of relationship with him. We're all exiles in that sense. But when God redeemed Israel from Egypt in the book of Exodus, he instructed them to build a tabernacle or a tent that they could move around in the wilderness when they traveled and still have his presence there with them. That became the dwelling place of God with his people at that time. It was the place that they'd make sacrifices to God for their sins. It was the place where God's glory would manifest itself amongst his people. It was almost like a a recapturing of the Garden of Eden again, but in a limited and restricted kind of way. And when Israel had settled in the land and David had conquered Jerusalem, his son Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, this immovable stone version of the tabernacle. And this is the time the psalmist is thinking of here in Psalm 84. He's longing for this temple. But the story continues because God's people continued to sin. They continued to turn away from him. And so we see in the Old Testament, the temple was eventually destroyed. Just like Adam and Eve, God's people were cast out of the land. They were exiled from God's presence. And though they would later return to the land, things would never be the same again. God had made incredible promises of what the restoration of his people would look like. But their actual experience, it didn't quite live up to that. It was as if they were still in exile, even in the land that God had promised to them. But the story didn't stop there either. Because in the Gospels, in Luke's Gospel, for example, what we're doing as a church, or we have been doing for the last six months, Jesus Christ comes on the scene. He's born. He becomes flesh. And he dwells among us. That verse in in John 1, verse 14, that Fiona was quoting as she prayed, it uses the language of dwelling. It's almost like John is saying, in Jesus, God tabernacled amongst us. Jesus is the dwelling place of God with man. Jesus even says this about himself in John chapter 2. He says, I am the true temple. And he's the true temple because he's the true sacrifice as well. He's the one who gives himself to take the punishment for our sin. That's what we see in the gospel. See, Adam and Eve were cut off from God because they sinned against God. And Israel were cut off from God because they sinned against God. And we, we all deserve to be cut off from God because we have all sinned against God. We've all rebelled turned away from him. And what we deserve is for God to turn away from us, to cast us out of his presence forever. What we deserve is God's judgment. But what we get in Jesus Christ is God's mercy and his grace. On the cross, God turned his face from Jesus so that he could turn his face towards us. 
When Jesus died on the cross, he took our sin on himself. And when he rose to life three days later, he ascended into, into the presence of God in new life so that those who put their trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, for the new life that he offers, they too can be brought back into God's presence again. They can be with God face to face, just like Adam and Eve were back in the garden. That is the good news of the gospel. Incredible news. And if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, if you've never looked to him for the salvation of sins, turn to him today. Turn away from your sin. Turn to him because it's the only way. The only way that you can be brought back into relationship with God again. The only way that you can know the life that, that you so long for is if you find that life in Jesus Christ. But even as good as all that is, the story doesn't stop there either. Because now, all those who trust in Jesus Christ, we become God's dwelling place too. When we are united to Jesus, God sends his own spirit to come and to live in us. Jesus says it like this in John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And he will come to him and make our home with him. Isn't that beautiful? See, in the new covenant, God doesn't just dwell with his people. He dwells in his people. He comes to us and he dwells in us. But the story doesn't even end there either. Because in the very last book of the Bible, in Revelation, in chapter 21 and 22, we get this incredible picture of what's in store for all of God's people when we trust in Jesus Christ and we look to him for salvation. Because Jesus will come back one day. And on that day, he will usher in his new kingdom for all eternity. And listen to this in Revelation 21, verse 3. This is what Jesus Christ says of that day. What will happen? John, he's writing this and he says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and this is Jesus, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Verses 22 and 23 say this. John looked and, and I, he says, I saw, a temp, saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. That is what is coming for all those who trust in Jesus. For you and for me, if we are united to him by faith. A time when God will surround his people with his glory and his presence. A time when we, we won't need to go anywhere to meet with God because God will be with us everywhere. Everywhere will be the fullness of his presence. What a glorious thought that is. 
Now, that was a bit of a, a whistle-stop tour of the theme of God's dwelling place in Scripture, but hopefully it helps us see that God is the one who satisfies our deepest longings by making His house our home, where we can be with Him, where we can dwell with Him in His presence forever. Why do we long for things in life? Why do we have these innate desires within us? Well, it's because the God who made us has set eternity in our hearts. And the reason we're always longing for something is because we're meant to find that something, that it, in Him. We're meant to find our ultimate satisfaction in Him. As the well-known quote from St. Augustine says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. We are restless because we have lost the very thing that we are created for. If you're restless in life at the moment, if you're restless and wandering aimlessly through this world, look to God. He offers intimacy with Him, relationship with Him, to know Him and to worship Him, to do what you were created to do, all through trusting in Jesus. How does God satisfy our deepest longings? Well, the first way He does that is through making His house our home. And secondly, He does it through strengthening us as we journey to Him. This is what the psalmist says in verses 5 to 9. Now, let me read verses 5 to 7. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. These verses, they're, they're talking about the time when the Jews would make their kind of annual journey, their annual pilgrimage three times a year to these three annual festivals that were in Jerusalem. Hundreds of thousands of God's people would up sticks and they'd travel from far and wide to celebrate in God's house in the temple. And do you see the metaphor that, that the psalmist is, is kind of playing on or painting here in verse 5? Their hearts as they journey are set on God. Their hearts are highways to Zion, to the city of God. And as a result of their hearts being set on God, they find their strength for the journey in Him. Because in verse 6, the valley of Baca, or Baca, whatever way you want to put it, that word Baca is a, is a difficult one for Hebrew scholars to translate. It, it could mean two things. One meaning it could have is, is dryness or, or thirst. So we could think of like an arid desert kind of a, a valley as these people, as they travel, that's the kind of place that they're traveling through. A place with, with nothing really to see. A dry place, a barren place. Or, or that word back, it could also mean, back, do you see the way I say it in my Balamine accent? Back, baka, I'll say it baka. Um, but although that word back, it could also mean weeping. So he could also be painting this picture of a valley where tears are shed on the journey. A valley of weeping where, where challenges and hardships have to be endured. But do you see what happens when these pilgrims journey through this thirsty valley, this, this weeping valley? 
They make it a place of springs. The early rain comes down and covers it with pools. And they're not the ones that are making it rain. God is. Because look, verse 7, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Their strength is in the Lord. They are on their way to see Him. They've set their hearts on Him. And so God blesses them by providing for them on the journey, by sustaining them on the journey. He protects them. He covers them with His wings. Even when they pass through some of the most difficult times, some of the most arid and barren places in life, And verses 8 to 9, they're a prayer for their king. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. See, the king of Israel was the one God had chosen, his anointed one. He was the one chosen by God to protect the people. And yet the king also needed God's protection. If God showed favor to the king, then all the people in the land would experience the blessing of his protection too. And how much more is this true for us in Jesus Christ? He is our anointed king, God's chosen king. He is the one who God looks on with favor. He's the one who who God says, this is my son, my beloved son. I am well pleased in him. And you know, if we are in Jesus Christ, united to him in faith, then God looks on us and he says, you too are my son. My favor, my blessing, my love is on you because of my son, Jesus. Like these people, the psalmist is describing here as Christians we're on a journey too. We're pilgrims journeying to see our God. It's not a journey that happens three times a year. This is a journey that we are on for our whole lives here on earth. And like these people, there are times we too will walk through the valley of Baca, through times of weeping and sorry, through thirsty, thirsty times. But even in those places and in those times, God is still pouring out his grace on those who set their hearts on him. This is Psalm 84's version of weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 84 is saying that glorious things happen in the hands of a God who cares for his children. Even the trials that he sends us into, they forge deeper faith. They strengthen our trust in him. Isn't that what the book of James says? Count to all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Psalm 84 is saying that even in the valley of suffering and sorrow, there is grace and there is strength for those who set their hearts on God. So if you're struggling this morning, if you're going through the valley of Baca, through sickness, 
through challenges in your job, through financial pressures, through strain in a relationship, through grief of the loss of a loved one. Remember, even in those times, as difficult and as desperate as they may be, God is still good. Even in those places, he promises to pour out his grace on us, to meet us in our need with his blessing, to sustain us, to keep us looking to him and journeying to him. The whole Christian life is a journey, and our race is not yet run, but someday it will, and we will reach God in Zion. And until that time, God satisfies our deepest longings by strengthening us as we journey to him. Thirdly and finally, God satisfies our deepest longings by giving himself and everything that's needed to those who trust in him. He gives himself and everything that's needed to those who trust in him. In verses uh, in verse 10, sorry, the psalmist almost sounds uh, like where he started in the beginning, doesn't he? We sang these famous words, brilliant words, love it. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the psalmist, a day in the courts of God's temple, just one day is better than a thousand days anywhere else in this world. Here's what he's really saying. It's better to have God and nothing else in life than have everything else in life and not God. It's better to be comfortable in life with God Sorry, it's better to be uncomfortable in life with God than comfortable in life without Him. It's better to be hurting in life with God than carefree in life without Him. It's better to be living in poverty with God than living in riches without Him. It's better to have rejection from this world with God than all the acceptance and the acclaim of others in this world without him. Do we believe that as God's people this morning? Do we really believe that? Verse 11 gives us the reason why we can believe it. Why we can know that that's the truth. Look what it says. For the Lord God is a sun and shield The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God is a son. He gives life and he gives health and warmth to his people. God is a shield. He protects and he defends his people. No good thing does he withhold. No good thing has he kept from you. He bestows favor and honor. That means grace and glory, those two words. He bestows bestows grace and glory to those who walk in his ways. See, God is all we need in life. He gives us everything that we need to sustain us here and now on this earth. And he gives us an inheritance for the future. 
that nothing can take away. An inheritance that's waiting for you, guarded in heaven. He gives us peace with him. He gives us power over sin. He gives us new hearts, hearts that long for him, that long to know him more, that long to live for him. He gives new mercies every morning. He gives grace for the journey to empower us in our weakness. He gives us blessing that lasts for eternity. And the greatest gift that he gives to us is himself. He has not withhold anything from us because he gives his very self to us. We see that that's what the psalmist really longs for in this psalm. That's the whole theme of this psalm. God himself is better than anything else that this world or this life can offer. God is more satisfying than anything else. And verse 12 draws it all to a close. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Is what you're trusting in in life right now, is it able to satisfy you the way God can? The way God offers? Is it able to deliver on its promises like God can? Is what you're trusting in in life right now able to provide for you and protect you the way God promises to provide for you and protect you? Put your trust in him this morning. If you haven't already, put your trust in him and your life will never be the same. It doesn't mean that your life will be carefree and easy from here on out. It doesn't mean that you won't experience hardships or struggles. It doesn't mean that you won't go through the valley of Bacah, that you'll always be in the mountaintop. That's not what God promises. But what he promises is your life will never be the same again because I will be there with you. In all those things, in every season, my grace will sustain you. My peace will rest upon you. And it'll be a peace that, that makes no sense to others in this world. My steadfast love will hold you forever. Blessed is the one who trusts in you, O Lord of hosts. And as I finish, one of the questions that you might be asking, kind of as we consider all this, is how can I, like the psalmist, make God my deepest longing? How can I do that? Maybe you long to long for God the way the psalmist does here. Maybe you long to be satisfied in him, but you're just not there right now. Maybe if you're a Christian, you've been there before. You can think of days like that where you were just hungry for God, wanting more of him, more of his presence. And you wonder, how can I ever get there again? Will I ever have that burning desire in my heart again for God? Well, the truth is, you cannot get there on your own. You can't do it yourself. You need God to do the work in your heart. But the good news is, he is able to do that work. My readings at the minute I'm doing at home are in the book of Ezekiel. And I was just thinking about what God promises in the new covenant when Jesus Christ comes, which is this time, the time we experience. He promises 
to give us a new heart. A new heart that is soft. Not a heart that's hard, but a heart that's soft and responsive to him. A heart that listens to his voice. A heart that is empowered by his spirit to live in his ways, to long to please him. If you're a Christian this morning, if you have trusted in Jesus, that is the heart that God has placed in you right now. Ask him today, every day this week, ask him to stir your affections for him again. To to draw your heart back to him again because he can do it. Ezekiel 37, that was the reading I had this morning. And in Ezekiel 37, that's that famous story of, of God raising up those dry bones in the valley. And what does he do? He says to Ezekiel, prophesy, speak, and let my breath do the work. Reviving those bones, bringing them back together, bringing life to those bones that were dry and dusty and dead. That's what he can do in you. Ask him to breathe new life into you. Trust that he can do it. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you're a God who has made your house our home. Lord, we do not deserve that. Our hearts are set against you, not for you. We look for satisfaction and pleasure and joy in all the things in this world that you've created, that you've given to us by your grace. We look for our purpose and our ultimate satisfaction in those things. But God, we find our our ultimate satisfaction in you. We're restless, God, until we find our rest in you. And we praise you today. We thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you're so gracious and you're patient with us, that even in our wandering, you're right there calling us back to yourself, that you're standing with open arms as we walk with our backs turned to you. You're just waiting for us to hear your call and to turn back and to run into your arms. Lord, I pray that if there are any of us here this morning who are really struggling at the minute, maybe we're going through the the valley of Bacar, maybe we're struggling with suffering in life, maybe we're struggling because life just seems really hard at the minute, maybe we're we're feeling dry, we're we're thirsty, but we cannot cannot find anywhere that will, will satisfy us, that will actually do anything more than whet our appetite. Lord, may we turn back to you and may we find living waters in you, in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we'll see that you're the God who not only saves us, but you're the God that sustains us as we journey to you. You protect us. You provide for us. Lord, you are worthy of our worship and praise. Thank you that in Jesus Christ, you've made the way for us to be in your presence, to experience your presence even now as we gather together as your people. There's a tangible uh, experience of being with you 
amongst your people, praising you. Lord, as we go even, we will go with your presence as you live in us. But, but Lord, the greatest joy that we have is that vision of the future. What is in store for us? Because we know that one day we will be in your presence, surrounded by your glory and your goodness forever. We will not have to go looking for you. You will be right there with us. Lord, we praise you and we worship you. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Amen.